Amen. I remember at 12 years old singing that song to my daddy, holding him by the hand. He went through a complete nervous breakdown. Uh, and uh, I sat on the back porch of my grandma's home and held my daddy by the hand and sang, What a friend we have in Jesus to him at 12 years old. And uh, God was with me then. And he was with us uh, through all our life. And I, I love him so much today. One of the things I didn't like to hear when I was a child was the answer that my uh, mother would give me and my grandmother would give me uh, when they would say, you can't do this, you can't do that, and I wanted an explanation. I felt I deserved an explanation. And you know what the answer I got from them? Because they were in authority, and I, I came up through the day when parents were actually in authority, amen, and when hickory tea was not something to help you sleep at night. You don't know nothing about no hickory tea, do you? Y'all don't know nothing about no hickory tea, right? You're thinking of tea that you drink? Hickory tea is when you go get a switch off a hickory tree up in Kentucky. Yeah. Australian pine? Well, that'll work too. But hickory is even stronger than that. And they would threaten me with hickory tea sometimes. So when they gave me the final word, they would say things like this. And I didn't like to hear it as a child because they would say, I'd say, well, why can't I do that? I wanted, I felt I deserved an explanation. I mean, I'm 10 years old. I'm not a kid anymore, right? Why can't I do that? And they would say, just because I said so. Just because I said so. So when we read in the Bible that God loves us just because, and we want an explanation it's hard to believe how much He loves you and me. We sing that song, Oh, how He loves you and me. He gave us His Son. What more could He give? Oh, how He loves you and me. We talk a lot about faith, but the Bible said that faith worketh by love. And the Bible speaks of our spirit-filled experience as being based on a foundation of being rooted and grounded in love. Not just any kind of love, but the God kind of love. The divine love. Three kinds of love. There's, there's, there's eros, which is the most... It's physical attraction. It's sexual attraction. It's sensual attraction. Eros. And that's why we get the word erotic from that. And by the way, to satisfy the desire of eros, you don't need to love the person. Love doesn't have to... You know, when you get discouraged in even finding love, you, you sing that song that, that was made famous some not too awful long ago. What's love got to do with it? It's just a second-hand emotion. No, it isn't. It's got to be more than a second. Every person who is just playing the field out there needs to be loved by somebody that will make a devoted commitment to them for more than just sexual pleasure, but for something deeper than that. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with sex in the right context. We're, in, we're all adults in here. There's no one under 40. Oh, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just asking. Amen. There's another love that's commendable. It's a wonderful, powerful love. And it's the kind of love that a mother has for a child. And that people can develop for one another. A child has for a parent. A brother for a sister. A, a friendship that is so close. 
It is a love that is maybe seen more clearly in its self-sacrificial form in the military. I remember during the Vietnam War, my, my wife's uncle flew a helicopter in Vietnam. I came up through the Vietnam. You're a Vietnam vet sitting right here in the United States Army. And there was a young, young black man. He happened to be in the Marine Corps part of that war. And a grenade was hurled into a, a, a ditch that they were taking cover in. And he knew there wasn't time to throw it back out. And he knew he and his three, there were four of them in that hole of firing. He said, or he didn't say, he knew instinctively that grenade goes off, that shrapnel flies. If the concussion of the grenade don't kill all of us, the flying shrapnel is going to cut us to shreds. Nobody will survive this. And he did something unthinkable unless some kind of love is in operation. He threw himself flat out over the grenade. It tore him to pieces because he absorbed the concussion. All the shrapnel tore him. And some of the shrapnel hurt and wounded the rest of them. But they all survived because he laid down his life. God talks about this kind of love in Scripture. He said, greater love hath no man than this. Then a man would lay down his life for a friend. Great, no greater love anywhere than this than a man would lay. Mankind has the capacity without the Holy Spirit, without being saved. We have the capacity to love like that. It is called philos. Phileo. And that's where we get Philadelphia from, that phileo, city of brotherly love. However, I would advise you not to go to the wrong places in Philadelphia in the evening. Can you say amen? Just be like the doctor on hee-haw that gets the call that I told you about. That, that a man called him up and says, Doc, I broke my arm in two places. What should I do? He says, stay out of those places. Can you say amen? There's places you ought not be. Philos is powerful. God talked about it. He said a mother's supposed to have it for their child, but they don't always have it. Can't. It was unthinkable, but it happens. Can a mother forsake her suckling child? Yea, she may. He said, but my love goes beyond that. But I will never forsake you, O house of Israel. Can you say amen? Can she do that? Yes. But will I ever do that? Never. I will never leave you. That's what Jesus was basing that on. It's not just a legal, contractual commitment. I want you to know the covenant that you have with God through the blood of Christ is a love covenant. It's not just a legal covenant. He's not just doing it because He's holy. He's doing it because He really loves you. And because of love, He has given His Son. And because of love, Jesus stayed on the cross. Love held Him there. Because nothing else could. Don't ever see Jesus as a victim of Caesar's Rome. Peter tried to defend him with his sword. And he said, put up your sword. If my kingdom were of this world, nobody could take me to the cross. Nobody could nail me to it. Nobody could make me go there. The Bible said when he stood in Pilate's hall as a lamb, dumb before his shearers. He opened not his mouth. And friend, I want to declare unto you, it's a good thing he didn't. 
Because he told Peter, he said, if I didn't want or will or my father didn't will it and I wasn't compliant with my father's will, he said, I'd call the armies of heaven. Amen. I'd call the warrior angels of heaven. I would destroy them and this world. He had the, the, he's the commander. And they call him in the old covenant, the Lord of hosts. And that means the commander-in-chief of heaven's armies. That's why when he comes back, he's coming back leading the armies of heaven. He's riding on a white horse. If you're looking for him on a donkey, you're looking for the wrong Jesus. They will never spit on him. They will never hit him. They will never hurt him. They will never crucify him. He's coming back, amen, on a white horse. And the armies of heaven follow him wearing those righteous robes. And I submit to you, if you do a deeper study, we're part of that army, not just angels can you say man if we suffer with him we're going to reign with him and that's part of the beginning of his his reign forever praise god and the armies of heaven followed him and there was a name written on his thigh king of kings and lord of lords hallelujah so don't look at him with a sympathetic, oh my God in heaven, I do sympathize with his pain and his suffering, his heartache and heartbreak, but I want you to know what held him on that cross was not those nails through his feet and hands. Do you understand he could have called heaven's angels? He had that kind of authority. See, that makes the love more strong. It makes it more powerful, the gospel. He didn't have, we used to sing it on Sunday morning. He didn't have to do it, but he did. You remember that song. You come up around church and church people, you get these songs down in your spirit. He didn't have to do it, but he did. He didn't have to do it, but he did. He didn't have to love me, but he did. He didn't have to die for me, but he did. He didn't have to do it. He chose to do it. Nobody will ever love you like that. That's a different kind of love. And so they had to come up with a name for it. And it's my understanding. And Wikipedia can't take you into all these places. But it's my understanding. Wiki, Wikipedia is that the wiki whatever. They had no word until the Christian era and Jesus on the cross. They had no word. Phileo wouldn't be enough for that kind of love. Because laying down your life for a friend is one thing. But laying down your life for the proud, the blasphemers, the people that took sick pleasure in watching you suffer, that's a whole different thing. Can you say man? Hallelujah. God commends His love, the divine love to us, in that while we were yet sinners, we were not friends. He wasn't, come on, man can do that, but only God could do what Jesus did on the cross. Can you say man? It was a God kind of love. And, and so they had to come up with something beyond eros and beyond phileo, and they came up with agape. Agape in the Greek. And it is clearly a supernatural, divine love. It's pure, therefore, it's because it's coming from His divinity. And it is powerful. And it is strong. Amen. And that's why when we get in the New Testament and we read those little simple scriptures for God so loved, we don't see how much He loved unless we see Jesus on the cross. And not just Jesus suffering on the cross physically. His suffering went beyond the physical. 
Bible said he endured the cross. And you would think in our human understanding, he would, he would, he would, it's the pain. But it said he endured the cross, despising the shame. He that knew no sin was treated as a sinner. He became sin. Not that he sinned, but he became as if he had sinned in order to pay our sin debt on the cross. And he didn't have to do it. But he did. And the fact that he did is the core of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. When I don't know where God is, what he's up to, why this is occurring, I have to go back to that love, Sean, and say that's why Paul said, and I mean he went through it. Paul went through it. Anybody in here ever been through it or are going through it? How many has ever been through it? I mean, he's going through it. Okay, I got news for the rest of you. Your day is coming. Can you say amen? Sure as the sun rises and sets, amen, in this world. How many, let me get this going here. How many live in this world? You're still in this world. In this fallen world, you shall have tribulation. And being a Christian doesn't exempt you. There's no exceptions. The Greek word is thepsis, and it means anguish and pressure. It's going to come to every one of us. And Satan's desire and design, his strategy, his wiles, his strategy of deceit to defeat you and I. So that we don't believe God through our troubles and trust him through our problems and pressures. is to make us doubt the love of God. Because faith worketh by love. And love is the foundation for us believing God. His love first for us. And then our love reciprocated back to him amen how many know there's a commandment the first and great commandment thou shalt love the lord thy god with all thy soul strength mind and might with your everything how many know nobody can love him like that just because there's a commandment to love so god knew you couldn't so he sent christ christ went to the cross to show how much he loved us And then the Bible said that the just has suffered for the unjust that he might bring us to God. I've said this on radio and I want to say it to you here this morning. A live audience for the most part. I'm not looking at you, my brother. You're way bigger than me. For the most part. Heaven is not the grand goal of God for you. It's the place you're going to live. But it's not the grandest goal of God for you. Escaping hell is not the main reason Jesus went to the cross. Now to you and me, there's nothing no greater than that. The most sobering thought that I've ever had in my life was when I realized my lost condition and where I was going to spend eternity without God. You would think there is no hell to hear modern-day, postmodern preachers in pulpits. Honey, the Bible said not only there is a hell, but God has had to add on to it. Hell hath enlarged itself to contain all the people that are headed there. Now that's sobering and that's serious today. 
And that's the most serious reason I can think of for escaping that place is that people will be banished and punished, banished from God's presence and punished forever. Where the worm dieth not and the fire is never quenched. That's a terrible thought. It's beyond my comprehension. I can't comprehend eternity, let alone eternity in torment. Heaven is a grand incentive to get saved. Escaping hell and then going to heaven, you got two grand incentives. And you'd think that would be the ultimate reason for Jesus going to the cross is to just cause you to escape hell and go to heaven. It is not. And because people have presented that or see that through the eyes and lens of our flesh, we can't comprehend some of these. We don't comprehend the shame. We can comprehend the pain of crucifixion. But we're not holy as He was. And we can't comprehend the shame when He that knew no sin became as if He was a sinner and was treated that... Listen, He died on the cross... Just like a sinner without God would die. Every Christian that's ever been crucified after him had God's promise of his presence and his grace and his peace in spite of that. But not Jesus. Jesus said in Pilate's hall, My father. Everybody forsook him. Nobody wanted to identify with him. And you know what he said? He said, My father's always with me. I've got courage and strength because my Father is always with me. But on the cross, on the cross, when He took our punishment, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes, we are healed from sin's deadly wound. Physical healing, again, is secondary. You don't change the context you don't change it to the... See, we're quick to go to the physical, to move into the physical. That's not the context. We can use that. It is very true. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says it clearly, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body, with whose stripes we are and we were healed. And you can be healed because of what he did on the cross. And we'll go into those scriptures if you want to sometime. Amen. But I want you to know that, that when, when, he was, when he opened the eyes of the blind... He was anointed to set the captive free, to set at liberty those that are bruised, and to open the eyes of the blind. We immediately see physical blindness being healed. It's not in the context of anything physical. It's in the context of all things spiritual. It's in the context of a man's salvation. It's in the context of the God of this world has blinded the minds of men lest they see the glory of the gospel and be saved. But Jesus came and was anointed to open the eyes of the spiritually blinded by Satan to see not only their lost condition and their destiny, but to see His offer of salvation. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? And the blind are able to say, I see. Hallelujah. You saw it one day. If you're a Christian, you saw it one day. Hallelujah. It wasn't just a man that shamed you or threatened you with hell. You saw it. Hallelujah. Because he opened your spiritual eye so you could see. Hallelujah. 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 But the greatest incentive for salvation is because God wanted to be reconciled to fallen man. 
I said on the last radio broadcast we made in the invitation at the closing of the radio broadcast, if you're any, any man or woman listening to my voice right now, you're wanted. You are wanted. It don't matter who you are and what you've done, where you come from, you are wanted. Amen. I didn't get into that part, but I'm going to do it here today. There's a wanted poster with somebody's picture on it. Amen. Right in the throne room of God. Every, listen, the Bible said, don't let nobody tell you any different. Don't let nobody tell you any different. It is not His will that any should perish. Oh, oh, yeah, there's a lot of people that deserve a lot of judgment and a lot of things, but it's not His will that any should perish, but that all have eternal life. Don't ever get into election because He would have to will some people to go to heaven and go to hell before they're even born. But it's not His will. It's not His will. It's not His will. It's never been His will. Amen. Because the Lamb was slain because God knew if He gives man a free will, He can make the wrong choices. And if He does, He's going to damn His own soul. Amen. So He knew that and I don't want Him damned. And I don't want to enlarge hell. I want to enlarge heaven. Can you say amen if it's necessary? Jesus was not an afterthought after man sinned. Because when He gave man a free will, God already had a salvation plan in view. If He falls, I have a redemptive plan. Hallelujah. So the Bible calls Jesus the lamb that was slain when God went into a panic when he saw man was lost. No, he was the lamb slain before he made man. He's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. You look a little bit like Shirley Caesar. You ain't Shirley Caesar, are you? Oh, no, I'm just, I'm, give me a fist bump. Just give me a fist bump. <laughs> How far from it? How do you sing? You sing pretty good, though, right? You hit a note or two? All right. Praise God. Brother Taylor said that'll do. Amen. Praise God. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. By the way, I'm far from Shirley Caesar too. I don't even get a note or two, but I love to sing for the Lord. Hallelujah. The Lamb that was slain when? From the foundation. Listen, he didn't, make, he, he didn't make man and then make the world. He made the world and then He made man out of the dust of the earth. And before the foundation of the world itself, He said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And I know when I do this and give that man that I'm going to make a free will, He may use it wrongly. And if He does, He's lost. He's doomed. He's damned. And I don't want him lost and doomed and damned. I want him redeemed and recovered, delivered, saved. So in his plan, and all through the Bible, all the Old Testament sacrifices, they would have been of no value to God. I'm going to tell you, the the blood of that lamb would be useless to God unless it was a type of... Of that lamb that was slain. And that lamb that was coming. That John saw and when he saw him, he didn't... Oh, he had a revelation. What, what a revelation John the Baptist had. When he saw Jesus coming, he didn't say, There's the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. Oh, hallelujah. There's the great prophet. There's Elijah. Come back to us. No, no. He said, Behold. Behold. He saw him. 
he saw him, behold, the Lamb of God that is slain for the sins of the world. God's Lamb is here. God's Lamb, the last Lamb that would ever be slain, the last sacrifice that God would ever receive. Can you say amen? They continued to slay lambs and slaughter them and put their blood on the mercy seat, but none of it had any value after Jesus shed His on the cross. Established a new covenant. Hallelujah. Through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a love covenant. It's a love covenant. For God so loved the fallen world full of proud, sinful, blaspheming people that wanted His Son dead and pushes away the Holy Spirit when they convicts them. God loves you enough that He gave His Son for you. He commends His love. Said for a, good, for a man, someone may die. For a good man, someone peradventure may dare to die. But God commends His love to us that in while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the ungodly. Hallelujah. And it's supposed to melt our heart. It's supposed to make us want to serve Him. Not dread to serve Him, be made to serve Him, but desire to serve Him. Can you say man? And that's why when the first love was lost, he said, nothing else you're doing so right has any value to me. A lot of religion being practiced this morning. Even the right religion, the Christian faith, but without the love of Jesus and without love for Christ. God said, that don't do a thing for me. Amen? And when people see self-righteous religious people practicing their religion instead of followers of Christ loving Him and serving Him. They don't see something that attracts them. What's attractive to the world is to see someone that is loved enough that we would devote our life to Him and find joy in it. Hallelujah. We'd gladly take up our cross in order to follow Him. I fell in love with Pamela. It wasn't just teenage sexual attraction. We became intimate at some point. But our main reason for being together is what she said. My daddy had a nervous breakdown at 12 years old. I sat on the back steps and sang to him, what a friend we have in Jesus. Well, I held my daddy's hand, and my daddy wasn't there to hold my hand. But my mama married, I had a stepdad, and he didn't beat me. He wasn't mean to me. He ignored me, let me know on no uncertain terms that, that, uh, I wasn't welcome. So I stayed in my room. I hibernated. And when the weekend come and school was out, I left home. I didn't come back until late Sunday night. And they didn't know where I was and they didn't care where I was. And so I would hitchhike from Sefner Mango area of Florida down to a theater. I forget the name of it. There's a theater down on Hillsboro. Used to be a drive-in theater. Hillsboro Drive-In Theater. That was your first job. I, I probably saw you there. As a young man, and I wouldn't have known you. Can you say man as a young man? We would hitchhike down there, and when they'd have, and I'm going to tell you something, I wasn't even crazy about Elvis, but they'd have four Elvis movies back-to-back, all-nighter Elvis. I never was crazy about Elvis. I probably should have been. I had sideburns down to here. But anyway, we'd sit there just to be out somewhere doing something. Coming home at 2 o'clock in the morning on Highway 92 hitchhiking. You don't do that anymore. But in that world, in that time, nice people, where are you boys going? Where can I drop you? We never, fortunately, we never had a problem. 
But I remember feeling so alone. I remember feeling so desperately alone. I would go to the woods. I'd stay in the woods and, and I'd t- just just take my BB gun like I was going hunting or something for something and, and just to get out in the woods and be alone, stay out there all day. And sometimes I would sleep out there all night long. Now, I remember the night, Brother Taylor, when I, when I was walking from my dad's, my, my, my stepdad and mom's to my, to my grandmother's house, and all of a sudden, I felt like I was a grain of sand in the universe. That's when my nerves began to go at 12 years old. But I still knew there's a God. I don't know, who, I don't know him all that well, but I know he's real. And I cried out to him to help me because I felt like if I keep feeling what I'm feeling, I felt like I can't truly explain it. Just think of a grain of sand in the universe. Not on the seashore, in the whole universe, completely alone. And, and there was no comfort in knowing I had a father or a mother. My dad was sick and he needed me to encourage him. My mother worked hard. My stepdad came home. I lived in, a, in a, this little cave-like area of my room, and that's until the weekend when I stayed gone from either home. A friend of mine, just knowing there's a God that loves you. When I discovered the love of God, when I discovered that He loved me, when I discovered that, that old Christian hymn we used to sing, I have somebody with me to share my heavy load. I feel his presence near me every day. Though trouble overtakes me along life's weary road, I have somebody with me all the way. Praise God. I never got hugs. I never got kisses. I never got commended when something was good, but I got harshly criticized when something went wrong. I got compared to other people. I'd bring home a C on a report card. I thought, for me, under my condition, all messed up, a C was pretty good. (laughs) Seeing as how I never studied and hardly did any homework. Amen. (laughs) So I was proud of my C. But when my mama saw the C, she would compare me to my cousin who was a straight-A student and tell me how dumb and stupid I was. And so I didn't have love like that. And Dad wanted, and he, he loved me, but I was ministering to him at 12 years old. And that was a heavy burden on a 12-year-old. And when I came to Jesus, the Pentecostal Holiness Church, you could just about go to hell over any little thing. Now the pendulum swings over to Anything goes and nothing else matters, and that's wrong too. But somewhere, right in the middle, the love of God, the chastisement, even when He chastens His children, love is the motive. And the Bible said if you're a child of God and you're doing wrong and you're without chastisement, you're fooling yourself. You're a bastard and not a son. Because He chastens every son that He loves. Scourges everyone that he receives. So if you're doing wrong and he never steps in to get your attention. But if he steps in to get your attention. I heard the story of a man and this is inhumane. But you know people didn't used to honor animals a little bit. He had an old mule and the mule every morning he didn't want to plow. Man got up at the break of day and the mule don't want to plow. His Nephew come to spend the 
two weeks out of the summer with him on the farm. And, and he got up in order to get breakfast. He had to get up when they got up. They got up at the break of dawn. And they're ready to go out and start plowing. <laughs> and he walked up to the old mule, hooked him up to the plow. Everything's ready. The mule ain't budging. So he takes two before and he whacks him right between the eyes of the two before. The old mule he shakes his head like that. And he said, come on, let's go plow. Off they go. He said, why did you hit the mule every single morning? He said, because. He said, he's a good old mule. He'll plow from sunup to sundown. But first, you just got to get his attention. And I don't know if God's ever got your attention. And maybe you don't want to hear this today, but it's too late. You're here now. And if you don't run out right now, you, you probably heard more than you want to hear. But if God takes the time to invest in you to get your attention through some incident and circumstance, make no mistake about it, it's because He loves you. Because He, he scourges everyone that He receives. Not to hurt us, but to help us. To help us. To help us. I worked for Tampa Electric for over five years. And there was a guy that worked with me at Tampa Electric. Told me the true story. He said, we were working on a, the power lines and we noticed smoke coming out the windows of a house. A frame house with a screen door. And he said, I ran over and I knocked on the door. That screen door of that house. Nobody came to the door. But I could look straight through that little frame house. And I saw a man's foot. I saw the end of a bed down at the end where it turned to a bedroom. little short area. He said, I saw a man's foot. As I peeked in the door, I saw a man's foot. And I knew there's a man laying on that bed. The house is filling with smoke. Flames are building toward that front door. And he said, I went in and there was a man drunk as a skunk laying in that bed, inebriated, didn't know his house was on fire. And he said, and I grabbed him. And I began to pull him and say, I've got to get you out of here. The house is on fire. And he cursed me and swung on me. And he said, when he swung on me, he said, I either had to just leave him there or swing back on him. So he said, I swung back on him. And he said, he was already semi-conscious. And he said, after I swung back on him, he's probably unconscious. Said, I hit him so that he wouldn't fight me trying to help him. If you go to save somebody that's drowning, number one, you better be a good swimmer. And number two, if they try to drag you under, you better have a good right hook. Can you say amen? I'm serious. They'll kill you. They'll drown you. Amen. You whack them one. If a shark bites you, don't just scream and holler. Stick your thumb in his eye. Hit him on the beezer, on the nose, hard as you can. Kick and scream. When you're trying to help somebody. He said, I pulled him out. Laid him in the front yard, called the fire. By the time he got him to the front yard, he said the whole house was in flames. And if he had let him alone, when he pushed back, he would have died in the fire. So if God isn't letting you alone, I'll tell you, conviction's uncomfortable. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be. If you're here without God and you're lost or you're backslid, you're uncomfortable right now. 
Why? Because the Holy Spirit's here. And God loves you. And God sees you in danger. And God wants to take you from that danger to a place He can provide for you and protect you, save you and seal you with the Holy Ghost. Can you say, man? And the devil will tell you, but oh, you'll have to give up that sin. I'll tell you, get a hold of what God is offering you. And that sin is not going to be near as attractive as it was. In fact, as you continue to be filled with His Spirit... Drink from the living water that he offers. Eat of the bread of life. That old fleshly lust for that thing you think you can't do without. You're going to find out not only can you do without it. You're glad to give it up in order to have what God is offering you. Can you say amen? Now let me say this before we close real quickly and read the scripture. We're doing it in reverse today. We do a lot of things in reverse. But we want to hear what the Spirit has to say to the church. Not just what I have planned and what we have planned as a program. We want the Holy Ghost to interrupt the plan. And we want God to speak to us today. Hallelujah. Going to heaven, escaping hell, is the byproduct of reconciliation with God. That's why when Jesus, now in our lens, when somebody talks about heaven, oh man, Is it John 14? Jesus says, In my Father's house there's many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And when I think of the place, in most funerals we talk about the place. You know, we lived in little, you know, a little shotgun shack down here. But oh, wait till we get to heaven. It is going to be something to see. But when we think of mansions, we think of gated communities and million-dollar homes. And the word for mansions in the Greek, yeah, because we're human. The word for mansions in the Greek is abiding places. In fact, it's a condominium. And it's a big one. There's not just room at the cross for you. There's room in the condo. It's big enough to hold All those people he wants to save if they would just respond to him. It's a city four square. How big is it? Somebody ask. All right. I'm glad you asked. It's 1,500 miles square. It's 1,500 one way and 1,500 the other and 1,500 the other and 1,500 back. Oh, And that's just the first level. And then the Bible said it's 1,500 miles high. Oh, by the way, and it's not staying on some other planet. John said, I saw the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven to the earth. As a bride adorned for the bridegroom. Hallelujah. Praise God. What did Jesus put the emphasis on? See, we're human beings and we look through the lens of the flesh so much, we see everything through that lens and we're missing something far bigger. All we see in salvation many times, escaping hell and going to heaven and having God protect us and bless us in between. There's something in God's plan and heart far greater than that. He wants intimate, personal fellowship with you. Hallelujah. He said, you can't build a house that will attract me. Even if it's supposedly for my honor and my glory. Amen. He said heaven is my throne. And the earth 
is my footstool? And he asked a pointed, poignant question. Where's the house you'll build for me? I hear preachers all the time asking for people. Remember the Crystal Cathedral before it came to naught and failed and was sold? Robert Schuller, he said, this is for the glory of God. Send in your money. And they were buying these crystal stars to hang in the crystal church. Fashioned after something over in Europe. And it was supposed to be for God's honor and for God's glory. And this God of glory says you can't build nothing big enough to honor a God this big. Nothing you can fashion with your human hands can contain me, hold me, or attract me. Because heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's the house you'll build for me? We need churches, but we don't need churches that are so extravagant that we say we're doing it for His glory. Because that's not what He's looking for. He said, but to whom will I look? He's looking for a man or a woman with a humble spirit and obedient heart. He said, if you can't build a house to attract me, what can you do to attract me? If you can't build a house to contain me, where am I going to live? Where, you, where can I live among you? To whom will I look? Even to him that is of a humble and contrite spirit that trembleth at my word. Unto him, unto her. You get it right. Willie said right here. Right here. Right here. So in the New Testament, it becomes crystal clear. Hallelujah. Paul looked out at a bunch of people just like us and says, what? Don't you understand? Don't you comprehend? Don't you get it? Your body, your body. You can't build a building that will attract Him, but you can receive Christ as your Savior, humble yourself before Him, commit yourself to follow Him, and your physical body becomes the temple of God and the temple of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Brother Venable, how you know you're going to heaven because I got the down payment. You know what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit? The earnest of our inheritance. Amen. They, they used to call down payments earnest money. If you're serious about buying the car, you tie it up with the earnest money. Can you say, man, you give him $100 while you're trying to rake up the other $700? Can you say, man? And he's holding it with that hundred. But the hundred means that you're going to come back. You're going to lose the hundred dollars. God is not going to lose the investment of his son and his son's blood in your behalf. Can you say, man? And the Holy Spirit being able to come and live in you and live in me and manifest the presence of the Father and the Son in us that through him, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit comes to indwell our human bodies. And you wonder if you're going to heaven? I'm going to tell you something. The place is not what makes it holy. It's the person who lives in that place. And he doesn't just live in that place. Will he show him where he lives? He lives in the heart of the believer. Can you say amen? If you're holy enough for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to come and live in you, you're holy enough to live in the city he's prepared for you. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God loves you. I don't know why. Just because. Hallelujah. Just because. Just because. I'll tell you one cause. Give you a glimpse of it before we close. He told ancient Israel, I'm in covenant with you because of Abraham, your father. 
And he told them why this is far more than a legal contract between God and the people. He said, he said, you're not greater in number than anybody else. That's not why I chose you. You're not, in fact, you know, he said, it's not because you're so good and so kind and so obedient and so humble and so sweet. He said, you're a stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. See, if God's going to demonstrate his love and he only loves lovable people, then his love is not very strong. But if he wants to demonstrate his love by loving unlovable people, that hardened, stiff-necked, that's some kind of strong love. And he said, but that I might keep my covenant with Abraham, I set my love on you. Can you say, man? I said it. This is not the emotional stuff. You know, remember when we used to sing in church? I love you. It's so sentimental. It sounds so good. I love you with the love of the Lord. I love you with the love of the Lord. Oh, really? Oh, really? What if I fail you? What if I offend you? You're going to love me anyway? That's the love of the Lord is what we see in your average Christian outfit. I love you with that kind of love. There's only one way to love like that. This divine love, this agape shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. He has to love through us. Remember Corey Ten Boom closing for the fifth time? Corey Ten Boom said she was sent to Robinsbrook concentration camp under Nazi Germany rule. And in that concentration camp, because her granddaddy in Holland sheltered Jewish refugees. He died in a concentration camp. Her and her sister went in together to Robinsbrook. Her sister died at the hands of the Nazis. She died of malnutrition and, and all of dysentery and all of the shock of being maltreated the way that they were. Her dying breath, she saw the hate coming over the bitterness that would be normal in our flesh and our humanity coming over Corey. They're ki- they've killed my sister. They've killed my grandpa. I hate them. And her last breath before she died, Ruth, was, Corey, don't hate. Don't hate. Don't hate. And so Corey prayed, and God took that out of her heart. She was a Christian. And she said, for years... I thought I had forgiven, and all of that was in my past, and I taught and preached, and people loved to hear her story because she lived it out. But she said, I, after a meeting somewhere in Europe, she said people were coming, they were getting the book. Remember the book that Corey Timboom, The Hiding Place? She was signing an autograph in that book, the story of her life and how God brought her through and how God gave her gave her peace in her heart and forgiveness but she said i looked and i saw a man in the back of the line and the line's getting shorter and he's in line to come face to face with me and he had the book the hiding place and i recognized him as a guard at robin's brook that had treated us so awful and he said she said i felt it rising up in me i felt all of the pain 
the anger, the bitterness, the hate rising up because our flesh is our flesh. And we're human. And it's rising up. It brought it back. She thought it was buried so deep. And God's good goodness just obliterated it. But it was coming back. And this was her prayer. You've got to love the Lord to pray like this. She said, Lord, I don't love this man. But you told me I must forgive and love this man. Lord, I can't. Speaking of herself, her own ability to do it without God's Spirit in her. I can't love this man, but I want to love this man for your sake. Lord, love this man through me. The love of God then is released by the Holy Spirit. See, this is more than a liver shiver on Sunday morning. This is powerful. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit. And she said, by the time that man got in front of her, before she could say anything, he said, Corey, can you ever? I don't expect you to. I just want you to know how sorry I am. Can you ever find it in your heart to forgive me? For I have asked God to forgive me. And I have accepted Christ as my Savior. And he bowed his head to make no, no further eye contact. She took him by the hand, pulled him over and hugged him, and said, I forgive you, brother. I love you. Only the love of God can conquer all of that pain and bitterness and heartache. That's the kind of love that God committed Himself by covenant. Behind the legal contract with Abraham was God saying, I want to demonstrate to fallen man in a fallen world that I love him. And so I pick the least of the tribes and some of the hardest-hearted, hard-headed bunch there is down there and said, I'm going to make a covenant of love with them. And I'm going to love them in spite of their self. And if they leave me, I can't bless them. But if they come back, I'll forgive them and I'll restore them. Hallelujah. And he talked about himself as a husband and about Israel as his wife. This is all about God wanting an intimate, personal relationship. Can you say amen? So Jesus didn't talk in John 14 about heaven. You have to go to... John the Revelator, to see about the city. Jesus said, I prepared a place. No details, because his emphasis wasn't on the place. He said, I prepared a place for you. And if I prepared a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself so you can enjoy this beautiful place. No, that where I am, there ye may be also. One thing I know for sure, when Pamela married me, she didn't marry me for the place. Ain't got no home. Remember that song? I had no place to go to. Our honeymoon, oh, it was a doozy. You know what we had for our honeymoon supper? I was in the ag class at Brandon High School, and we had grew potatoes. For you city folks, Potatoes. For you ultra-city folks, potatoes. For the rest of us, it's taters. We had a 
potatoes, green onions, a tomato, and some green beans. And I'm going to tell you, when you cook it all up, of course, we didn't have no cornbread. We didn't have no meat. And we were in an eight-wide, little old 1930s trailer with no bathroom in it. A little bitty gas stove. Could hardly turn around. Maybe it was 18 foot long. And that's where we spent our honeymoon. So we could be by ourselves. I remember waking up. Couldn't believe I was married. My mama was out there at the road honking her horn. Said, you're going to work, ain't you? I said, oh, yeah, I'm going. I'm almost gone. Looking at the gas gauge almost down to an eighth of a tank. Headed for... Headed for Temple Terrace, go to work, and come home to my sweetheart. So it wasn't the place. The place wasn't all that important. But the person that I fell in love with was. And that's why Jesus said, I love you, and I want you to be with me. And I've prepared a place so we can be together forever. Can you say, man, isn't that beautiful? And that's why the supper is a victory supper, but it's more intimate and personal than that. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know what the bride of Christ is? We're his reward for staying on that cross. Can you say, man? And John saw us and a whole bunch of others. He said, I looked and I saw a great multitude coming out of every kindred, tongue, and people. Amen. These are from all different cultures, all different languages, different skin tones. He said, they're coming from everywhere. And he said, who are these? These are they that have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The church is bigger than any denomination. Can you say, man, or organization? It is the blood-bought What's the church? The redeemed. Hallelujah. Praise God. How many in this room are blood-bought? You consider yourself the church and you know that you have been redeemed. Hallelujah. How many want to know more about the love of God that's in Jesus Christ? So that you get rooted and grounded in love and grow up into Him who, grow up into him who is the head that you might, that you might comprehend with all saints, what is the length, breadth, depth, and height? This is something you can't describe. But it has dimensions to it, but it's indescribable because we can't, we can't think that big. God wants you to know the length of His love, the breadth of His love, the depth of His love, and the height of His love that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. It's about a revelation of His love, not just the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of tongue-talking people that are not rooted and grounded in love. Amen? they got power, but they don't have the faith to use it. So they're walking around with all of this power and being defeated by the enemy. Deceived by the enemy defrauded by the enemy of what is theirs in Jesus Christ. God wants to address it, and God wants to change it. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. 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 Will you stand to your feet today? I want, to give, I want to say this as we leave here today. You are highly favored. 
and you are well defended. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a lot of things that break down under pressure, but the love of God doesn't. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It, it believes all things. It endures all things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So follow after faith, hope, and charity, agape love, these three. But top shelf is not faith. Come on. It's not faith. Don't put it on top. It doesn't belong on top. Follow after faith, but don't put it on the top shelf. Follow after hope, but don't put it on the top shelf. Follow after faith, hope, and agape love, divine love, these three, but the greatest of these. Everybody say top shelf is love. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. I don't know what, what God's going to... Let me, let me just say that Anybody in here that don't know Jesus that want to know Him? Anybody in the room? Okay, I'm going to tell you the altars are going to be open as this song plays. I don't want to walk out that door without God defending me. I don't want to drive down the interstate without angels <laughs> taking care of me. I don't want to live in a world... Where you, look what happened in Paris. Those people were celebrating their equivalent of our 4th of July. And this devil-inspired man, they're trying to figure out what part ISIS had. And, honey, they're not looking at the spiritual dimension at all. Amen. Beyond ISIS and behind ISIS, behind all of this murder and hatred and hurt is a, is a devil that said he came to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus steps out and says, but I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. So he is, he is, David said, he is my shield. He is my buckler. So when you look at the shield of faith in the New Testament, you look square at Jesus. Hallelujah. Because <laughs> he is the what? He's the author, and He is the finisher of your faith. Glory be to God. Did you get anything out of this today? I've kept you long enough. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's give Him praise before we go home.